What's up, Fail Nation? Today I'm super excited because I actually, this past week, was able to sit down with Cubby James, the founder of the restaurant Cubby's that's located here in Utah where I'm from, and just had a super awesome conversation with him about his whole journey from basically being a 30-year-old vagabond traveling the world to now owning a company that has many different locations and is on track to do $25 million next year. So big stuff. He's an awesome guy. I definitely loved my time talking to him and hearing all of his crazy stories. So let's dive right in. I can't tell you how many times I saw cocaine in the back kitchen or dealing cocaine in the back or police always in their back door. It was some shady stuff, but it was just a lot of fun. What is up, everyone? I'm Kyle, and I am the host and founder of the Freedom to Fail podcast and Fail Nation, a community where failing while pursuing our dreams is a positive and taking uncertain chances is celebrated. This podcast is for those who have a dream of starting a business or doing something they've always dreamed of but have been held back by their fears. Our purpose is to share the unsuccessful stories of successful people so that you can learn how to take the first steps towards achieving your dreams. You deserve to live a life full of freedom and free of fear. Let's do this. So, Covey, I know we were talking a little bit before starting to record about all of the crazy things that you've done in your life work-wise and all the industries and locations that you've bounced around in. So can you just take a minute and tell us a little bit about your backstory and some of the things that you've done? Yeah, so I did an internship with the Clippers in 2004, and they didn't have an offer for me after my internship. So I interviewed with um, the Jazz, the 76ers, the Blazers, and and the Timberwolves. And we wanted to come back. My girlfriend and I, now fiance, who I met in L.A., was in a transfer from UCLA to the U um, for her photography program. And so I thought, okay, it'd be a great fit. I can go to Utah. I went to BYU there and go to the Jazz. I interviewed probably five interviews. I was told in person that I had the job. He said, we just had to do a check background on your referral recommendations from uh, the Clippers. And and I thought, okay, this is easy, slam dunk. Like I killed it at the Clippers. But my direct supervisor and I didn't really get along. He thought I was stepping on his toes. I was too ambitious. Here's your place. Really political. And he had been there for 10 years and never moved up. So obviously this guy was just disgruntled. And so I put her, his supervisor's name on my application, Leslie Murata, who still works there. And um, we're still good friends. So when the Clippers called, the story is that, and I've heard from Leslie, they asked for Leslie. And she wasn't there. And they said, who's this regarding? He said, Cubby James. said, well, his direct supervisor is Rob Strickorda, a.k.a. my nemesis. But <laughs> he, uh, and he just villainized me, just came in late a lot of time, wasn't dependable, just totally blatant lies. And when I didn't hear back from the Jazz, I kept contacting them. And then I got a letter saying we just moved a different direction. I was crushed. And so I called and got a hold of them, and they told me that's what happened. So I was at a crossroad, like, what the hell do I do? I, I just turned down 
everyone else because I thought I had this job. Now I don't have a job. So then I went back to Outback Steakhouse because I worked at restaurants forever, Outback and Sundance, all since I was 16 until I was 28. And I decided to go a different direction. And my fiance and I, we traveled. We just for a year we were vagabonds, and we pretty much had nothing but a storage unit with a couple pieces of furniture. And this is later in my life, you know. It was that was, this is when I was thirty two, so I was just a very poor <laughs> mid thirty year old. But we, we, you know, we went to fifteen countries, mainly in Africa and Southeast Asia, and then Nepal and India. I realized that I had a different calling in life, and I just wanted to do something I enjoyed. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely the goal for a lot of people, I think. So with your life going in all of those crazy directions, how did you come around and have the idea for Cubbies? Where did that come from? I was just doing odds and jobs. Went back to Sundance, worked up there in the restaurants, and also I was a bartender and then also in the grill room and catering. And then I was trying to get an idea. And you know, you, you look up to people, either parents, older siblings, um, mentors in school. And I was talking to my older brother, and I'm like, Dude, I don't know what to do. I can't figure it out. And he kept saying, dude, just pick something you really want to do and just do it. Whatever it is, you'll be successful because I, I know you. If it's sports, get back into sports. Because I was going to go back to school and get my master's in uh, sports management. And then he actually said, like, dude, why don't you just do something in a restaurant? Why don't you start a restaurant? I'm like, no, hell no. Restaurants suck. I mean, I did it for so long. and But I was more thinking of a restaurant because the ones the restaurants I worked at were sit down servers, drama managing all their personalities, and then we are from Chicago, and he's like, "Dude, why don't you bring Italian beef to Utah?" And I was like, "Italian beef to Utah? Chicago is a huge city. Everyone knows what a Philly cheesesteak is, but not everyone knows what Italian beef is." So I'm like, "Oh, that's not a bad idea." So I started writing a little business plan. Went to Chicago uh, just for like a weekend. Went to probably 10 different Italian beef stands. Went to the one that we grew up eating at. And I'm like, this is damn good. Like, I don't, people need to know about this. I got a little more serious. And my wife and I, I said, okay, I'll run a business, a little, little business plan. I'm going to find a little Airbnb out there. I went out there for a month. And I set the precedent with this company called Mr. Beef that I would pay them. We had to negotiate. I went and met with Al's Beef and Johnny's Beef. And they wanted too much money or they said I had to do, do a franchise and I wanted to do my own menu, but I wanted mm-hmm. to put Italian beef on the menu, but I wanted to have the best Italian beef. And Mr. Beef won, there used to be a show called Food Wars Yeah, and they'd go to a city and pick. And so Mr. Beef won and it was actually the one I grew up eating. So it was nostalgic. And so I'm like, okay, let's do this. I contacted them. I go out there. They're crazy. I mean, I'm talking about like, think of a TV show that it's almost not real about a restaurant that's crazy employees, crazy owners. It's only vulgar in language and it's just whatever it is. And I go there and they won't, I sit there all day and I'm like, Hey, I need to talk to uh, Joe. And he's like, I don't know who Joe is. I'm like, dude, come on. I've seen this. <laughs> Joe's the car is the owner. And, and he's like, you know, get that out of here. Just stop sitting around here. And I'm like, what? This guy's nuts. So I sit there all day and he finally came out there. He's like, dude, what the F do you want? I'm like, uh, I just want to talk to Joe, man. I have an idea. And he's like, I'm his son. I'm like, oh. So we start kind of talking about life. And I told him I was from Utah. Next question, if you ever say you're from Utah, it doesn't matter if you're an 
Africa, Thailand, or a neighboring state is Are You Mormon? But he loved religion. And so from there, now we had some kind of foundation. And then he gets me in touch with his dad. We had a dinner. And he said, yeah, you pay me X, way too much money. But this helped me get started. Even though my store now is not all about Italian beef. It's not about Chicago beef, but it, it started the menu. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I was there. He made me do ice and soda for the first week. <laughs> There's books written about this guy. He's mobster, gangster, godfather type guy. If you look up Mr. Beef and Joe's, it, it was, but it was such a, I mean, we're talking about like, I can't tell you how many times I saw cocaine in the back kitchen or dealing cocaine in the back or police always in their back door. It was some shady stuff, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, I'm from Chicago and I, I, I loved it. It was just like action and learned how to cook Italian beef. I'm like, okay. And now I have my featured item which was going to be Italian beef. And then my wife and I would all go to all the Italian beef places in Utah. I mean, in Chicago, every single one was all about the protein. If you look at the clientele, it was 90% men. And we're like, man, not that men don't eat. You know, it's stereotypical that men don't eat salads and women don't eat beef, but we just need a, a more of a mix or array of menus. So we finally went out to went out in the suburbs and it had a salad bar, but it was like worse than the Subway salad bar. It was iceberg lettuce and maybe some tomatoes and stuff like that. So, but that, and my wife's a really healthy eater and really appreciates high end ingredients. So she said, okay, let's, let's do a bunch of salads, salads on the menu and then the Italian beef. And then I went to visit my, um, one of my best friends from BYU in Portland and Portland's known for their food trucks. That's where it kind of started. There's big food truck blocks, a whole city block of food trucks. And he's like, dude, you got to check out this one. The guy does tri-tip. That's like his featured item. So we go there, 12 to 15 people in line. And working his ass off, but he couldn't, he was keeping up, but he was definitely behind. Uh, I'm like, what's that guy's name? He's like, Clint. So I reached my head in there. I put my head in there. I'm like, hey, Clint, you're getting your butt kicked in there. He's like, well, a guy didn't show up. I'm like, dude, I, I can cut me. I can take money. He's like, okay. I ended up helping him through the rush like an hour. Cody had to go back to work anyway, so it was no big deal. It was called Rip City Grill. And is this before you started Cubby still? Uh-huh. So still during the research phase? Yeah, still during the research phase. Okay. And we ended up just being in buddies. And I said, dude, I would love to learn how to cook tri-tip. And I told him let's put a restaurant together and a menu. He said, come back tomorrow and I'll show you how to cook it. So I went back the next day. He showed me how he cooked tri-tip. But I said, dude, do you care if I put tri-tip on the menu? And like, this is how you cook it. Of course I can put tri-tip in the menu, but I just wanted to say, dude, I'm going to still nothing except how you cook your tri-tip. Yeah. And it's like, dude, I don't, I don't care. Why would I care? So that's how kind of tri-tip became on the menu. And now that is the best, by the way, I've had your tri-tip at Cubby's. Yeah. Oh man, it is to die for. It's incredible. Oh, thanks man. It's kind of our, it's definitely our feature item. I mean, it's, we didn't know it was going to be our number one. We kind of evolved the tri-tip. He was a kind of a one man show. He's got everything at Costco, the tri-tip, the buns, the onions, Mixed greens, they did a tri-tip salad. You got the mixed greens from Costco and the balsamic vinaigrette. And he kind of just, but it was great. It was really great. And I had ideas. My wife had ideas, but I didn't have the kitchen experience that I needed to have. Yeah. So then I start looking around for someone that can help me. So I called my old contacts at Sundance. Someone tells me, hey, dude, there's this one guy. And I told him, I was just, who do you like up there that could have an opportunity I wouldn't poach from Sundance, but if it gave someone else an opportunity, then I felt good and I didn't feel bad about it. And the guy that was up there 10 years after I was there, he's cause a lot of Sundance guys stayed there forever. Yeah. And I called my buddy Brandon and I asked him like, dude, do you know anyone that 
you think could handle um, help in a kitchen? And he's like, this is one guy. He described him. I'm like, I'm like, Corey? Corey's still there? He's like, yeah. I'm like, hell yeah, dude. Can you give me his number? So I called Corey. He commits. He was hadn't really moved up that much. And then like a month later, probably four months before I was opening, I already signed on a lease in Provo. He called me and said, dude, I hope you understand, but I've been here for 12 years and the purchasing manager just left and there everyone's telling me to put my name in the hat for a purchasing manager. And it's five grand more than you offered. Cause I offered this guy 35 and to him, it was a raise from what he was making. Yeah. And I'm just starting out a restaurant and unfortunately chefs and cooks are mistreated because they, they just use and abused yeah. as a resume builder. But at the time it was good for him and good for me. And, and I'm hoping as we grew and I could more than double a salary if we had more stores. And so when he called and told me it crushed me, but I said, Corey, dude, I would do it too. Cause he's it's Sundance. It's a resume builder. He's now he's a purchasing manager and less risk. Cause he doesn't know if we're going to make it. Yeah, for sure. So what'd you do in that situation? So I call my other buddies from Sundance and now I can tell this, tell a story cause it's been eight years. So I'm here. Sorry, Brian Thompson, but I'm going to throw you under the bus. I called Brian this is actually kind of funny because I think Brian actually works for Pizzeria 712 and Communal again, but whatever. I called Brian and I'm like, dude, do you know anyone? I am opening in a couple of months. And he said, there's this Argentine guy that works at Pizzeria 712 and Communal. Because Brian was a number three guy at Pizzeria 712 and Communal. So he wanted to give Damien a chance. His two bosses, they wouldn't appreciate it, but he was looking out for Damien. And he's like, this guy makes eleven fifty an hour. He works his butt off. He's so, worth so much more. And I'm like, uh, yeah, can I meet him? He's like, well, he doesn't speak English. I'm like, my Spanish is terrible. So I called my little brother who speaks Spanish. And I said, Let's, can we meet a La Coretta in Orem and translate for this guy? So we meet. First, I called the guy on the phone. He answered the phone and I said, Puedo, I was like, Puedes? Like, I was like, you know, trying to say, can you or meet? And he said, I'm not interested. And I'm like, there goes that. A few hours later, he called me back. He said, this is Damien. So really, he didn't want to talk because he was at work. Uh-huh. So we meet, he took the job. You know, for him, it was a big bump in pay. And it was amazing. I mean, we had a good seven-year run. We actually parted ways in January. But his palate, I don't know a better palate. The guy is amazing, and uh, he helped me so much kind of take our menu and mine and my wife's ideas and execute and put on a menu. He's really I mean, he's amazing at the ending title together, as in flavor for soups, dressings for salads, sauces for for burgers. It was great. We had a great run. He's an amazing guy. We parted ways. But the reason why we parted ways, the main reason, is three years after we were open— so four years ago, the original head chef, Corey, came knocking on my door. So now Corey is full circle. Our acting head chef, we haven't promoted because it's only been six months. Yeah. Um, he was the number two behind Damien for four years. And now uh, Corey from Sundance, the old purchasing manager, now is our uh, acting head chef. And he's an amazing guy. And, and yeah, so we went from store one. There was instant success. We had no idea it was going to happen. A little hole in the wall. Our rent was pennies compared to other places. We actually were going to originally take the Pizza Hut in Orem, which is now a Chick-fil-A. That was our original location. 
and something came up in Provo. And I'm like, ah, I love Provo. There was no food there when I was there in 95. When Del Taco opened, everyone went crazy. We had nothing on Bulldog except McDonald's and Wendy's. And then I knew the shopping center at Macy's, and I knew it was just just a hole from Macy's all the way down to every. It was just the whole entire buildings was kind of old and run down, and but it was a better deal than one in the Orm in its Provo. And I'm like, I don't care. It's Bulldog and State. This is a great area. I don't care if it's a rundown building. So it felt right. Got out of the lease in Orem, which now we're directly across the street from, and got Provo. And and then we're like, okay, we're in the States. Like People love a, a burgers. So Damon and I kind of trial and error with different types of meat and different type of blends between you know the fat ratio. And we started making burgers, and we came up with the Houdini and Dragon Slayer. So our menu was Houdini, Dragon Slayer, the tri-tip sandwich, a portobello for vegetarian offering, and five salads. And that's how it started. And then and the Italian beef, which I thought was, that's the reason I started this whole thing, to bring Italian beef to Utah. And now we've evolved where Italian beef slid to in the bottom three entrees out of 20 entrees when we had 20 entrees. I paid a hundred grand for the rights to to make the Italian beef, Mr. Beef the best beef in the United States and to work there for a month. It wasn't worth it for the sense of you know that offering, but it paid off in a sense. It helped me get started. It got the ball rolling. I didn't learn anything. Sorry, Joe and Chris. I didn't learn anything because <laughs> it was crazy. I learned how to make soda and cut a chuck roll for the Italian beef. But besides that, it was a good experience. And, and then um, really it was a lot of luck. We had great food. Terrible location, good area. Um, so location, as in you know, uh, geographically, yes. But the building was a hole in the wall, which in the way was kind of charming, I guess. But a lot of our success was Instagram. Instagram was just just getting big. 2012, for some reason, our cow on the chalkboard was iconic, and so many people would take pictures of the cow. And did you plan on doing that, or did no. it just happen? Just happened. My wife's an art major. The aesthetic is important to her. And she's like, it'd be really cool to put a cow, a chalkboard cow on the... Well, so we did a chalkboard paint and we just hand wrote the menu with chalkboard and she wanted to do the cow. And and then it was just one picture after another on Instagram. And we're the cool kids hanging out. Whoa, there's this cow. Let's just go check it out. And then, So it wasn't even you posting. It was creating a place where other people took advantage to post on their own Instagram. We didn't have Instagram. Wow. I didn't care about social media. I didn't care about anything. I'm like... Word of mouth. Yeah. I won't market. I won't pay a dollar. If it's good, people will talk about it. So we never, ever did any marketing um, besides word of mouth. So no paid marketing. I did a mailer, a buy one, get one half off for a month. There was some value coupons because a girl ate our store all the time. And yeah. I'm like, I just kind of threw her a bone and then I hated it. I'm like, I don't want to have a coupon customer. I don't want people to depend on, wait for the next coupon to come out. The owner of Zupa has actually told me that and. I picked his brain in 2012 because we had a mutual friend and he said, whatever you do, never do coupons. I was like, really? It's like, yeah, it just devalues your product. It's people will wait for the next coupon. And so I'm like, okay. And I stuck with that. And uh, we only had 1200 square feet, six tables. I would say the second weekend, you know, with the first night we had $600 in sales. We thought it was the coolest thing in the whole world. I had all these goals. I still have them on my phone. 
okay, man, if we hit my wife, if we hit $1,000 sales, let's do it overnight or a Sundance. If we hit $2,000 sales, let's take a trip to Puerto Verita. And then it was within probably a month that we hit $2,000 and I didn't really know what to do. I was like, this is insane. Like $2,000 for the month? No, $2,000 in sales for the day. Oh, in one day. Yeah. And you hit that within your first month. Yeah. Wow. And we actually were about $1,980 and all the people in the working that night. It was Greg's idea who was starting with me since day one. And now he's our director of ops. I'll say his name all you want in his contact information. Cause you can try to poach him. He'll never leave because we're homies and we're both good to each other, but he's uh he's the glue of the company. I mean, when I was saying uh, a couple of years ago, I was able to step back and concentrate more on the things I like to do, like growth, real estate, I'm negotiating um, the leases and he is more the day to day. And uh, Greg, told the staff, like, hey, guys, let's all buy a soda. Let's all buy a, a bottle of drink because sodas were free for the workers. But let's buy a bottle of drink to hit 2,000. They did it, and we hit 2,000. And and we had all these goals, too, like for inside the store, not as my wife and I, like, you know, different parties, pizza party, bowling party, movie night, if we hit these thresholds. And then the space next to us was always vacant because a lot of there's a lot of vacancy over there when we were first there. You know, now it's Chick-fil-A and Target, and it's a beautiful center. But the landlord forced our hand. We were getting busy. I knew we were, and we needed more tables. And it was like standing room only, but they, I didn't want to take on another lease. I was scared. The landlord said, hey, uh, we have to do something that there's interest in these this space next year's additional 1,200 square feet. I'm like, I can't double in size. That's all tables. My kitchen couldn't keep up with it because my kitchen's tiny. But we we did it, and overnight our sales doubled from the time we opened the wow. additional 1,200 square feet. And then two years into it, I started looking at Point of the Mountain, which was nothing but JCW and Del Taco. And there was two groups, two different landlords that owned different pieces. And we were the new hot, little, hot new thing in town. And it was like a bidding war. And so I just, it was so fun just to be like really chased. And they, uh, I kind of, put them against each other and I got a insane deal. So we were in the point of the mountain, the first weekend we had 10 grand. <laughs> That's a good opening weekend. Yeah. And I've never lost my mind more than my life and said more F bombs in my life than that weekend. It was rough. I've totally tamed down now. I'm like, this is not, but it was in the beginning working in food and being involved with sports. Unfortunately, a lot of times you get a bad mouth and it all came out that <laughs> first weekend. And, um, it was hectic. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. And I can it was imagine. Fun. So throughout this whole journey from when you started to where you are now, what would you say has been your biggest failure with Cubbies? Non-COVID? <laughs> Non-COVID. Cause I'm sure COVID has killed it. Been, I was very depressed for a while. It was not the financial part of it. I don't, I knew we'd land on our feet, but it was more, we had a, we went from 320 employees down to 150 and laying off 170 employees. That was our livelihood. And I'm so grateful for unemployment. Now we've hired back almost all of them. But besides that, I guess keeping a balance between, I like to have fun. I like to create a really good culture. But having that balance of being the fun owner, boss, coworker that's involved every day and to get, you get taken advantage of sometimes. Yeah. First time you're giving some guy an advance and a loan and then you're buying him a car and then next thing you know, you're getting stabbed. And so in a way it's, caused me to be a little less trusting, but I still, if someone's loyal to me and I've worked for a long time, I'd give them the world. And, but a couple of times it's, it's backfired. Yeah. So that a little bit. And then in the beginning, just being the little guy 
in the big pond of getting taken advantage of from vendors, yeah. landlords, and learning the game, and then uh, kind of sticking up for yourselves. I've had some wars. I've had wars with Chick-fil-A and Provo, Arby's. I mean, Chick-fil-A, I've had the cops call me three times. Yeah. From just pretty much standing up for myself, moving fences for construction because they're impeding on our parking. That whole game, I don't really like it just because it's now I look out for the little guys because when the little guys are starting out, they have nothing. They have no power with purchasing from Cisco or Nicholas or US Foods. So now if I hear someone starting and they get introduced to me, Cup Op or J Dogs, like those owners, like we're buddies. And there's a little bit of a fraternity in the restaurant world that, or it was funny, it kind of came full circle with Colton at Pizzeria 712 and Cumital. And they went on his own and started Chum. And I picked his brain so much. And then he came back and picked my brain. And we always look out for each other because the reason I got the pricing I did is because I knew Mountain West Burrito and Pizzeria 712 and Cumital from the Sundance days because we worked together at Sundance. And because Cisco's going to come in and not, they'll give you terrible pricing and you just kind of at mercy to them. So it's that of just being the little guy and trying to figure out the balance and overcome for sure of uh, not being taken advantage of, I guess. So with, I'm just curious now, obviously I just started a a bakery, like I told you as well, a little cookie shop, but everyone always says to me, they always remind me about the failure rate of restaurants specifically. Like obviously there's a lot of businesses in general that fail, but restaurants in particular, everyone seems to be wary about that. This is just for me selfishly, but also maybe for our listeners that might have something food wise to do. What are some tips that you have that you could give to be able to help make sure that their businesses are sustainable and can survive the test of time? Regardless if you fail or not, if you don't go for your passion and what you want and your goals, then it's going to become a failure anyways, because you're not going to be happy. Yeah. So you have to do what you want. And if it's something on the menu that you think it's a good idea and you think it's going to work, you won't know until you try it and you go for it. If you have to max out a couple grand or five grand result relative, but you won't know until you go for it. So, you know, obviously it's my best friend started a restaurant two years ago and I gave him everything I ever created to help him out. And I thought it was a great concept. It was a niche. It was called rising bun. It was in the point of the mountain. Mm, I heard about it and it was great food, but some things are out of your control. Who knew that the construction from the UDOT was going to come in there and just crush that whole entire exit and cut off access to the restaurant. And he was our, they were our neighbors and they went there because I, I'm like, dude, you got to go here because you'll never know if you're really going to make it unless you go to the right location. You might get lucky like I did in Provo, even though that was a good location, but just that foot track at the marketing from the free marketing from people driving around. Yeah. I, I think you just have to go for your dream. And cause if you're going to fail, who cares? At least, you know, you gave it your all. Yeah. And the guy that's on Cannon road in Provo in the Dan's parking lot compared to the guy that's on the corner of state and center in Orem, that's not comparing apples to apples. It's not fair. Who knew if the guy in Dan's parking lot or wherever off the beaten track was maybe in a different center, that's what's hard. You have to go for the real location. You can't look at this as double the rent because you're not going to know unless you go in that right location because just that traffic and those eyes are going to be able to see it. And so now I search out for, and I can't be inferior to another concept, but I look for in and outs in Chick-fil-A's and I want to be their neighbor because I have a different offering. Yeah. And then that traffic that's going to Chick-fil-A and in and out, 
And so many times someone will be in the Provo store with their kids eating Chick-fil-A and the parents eating our food. So it's really just seeking out and they have a whole marketing team that goes and studies demographics and they look at street counts. <laughs> so if there was so you don't even have to pay for that research. I don't you pay just for it. Piggyback off of them. <laughs> exactly. Very smart. <laughs> so uh, that's our new location in Saratoga. We're in it's us Chick-fil-A and in and out. It's not all confirmed, but they're all we're all in the works. Yeah. And the first two years it's one store, third year we added Point of the Mountain, then we kind of went for it and we went we did Taylorsville, um South Jordan, Spanish Fork in year four, year five, in a, in a year's time, we did those three stores. Now we've been a little more methodical about um, locations and now our growth. And so our last four stores are all in our top four besides Provo. It just doesn't make sense. It's the original, it's the OG, but no drive through, but it'll, it pumps people through. And so we've changed the drive through model. Our drive through stores are definitely higher grossing. And sometimes if we had that sweet spot, for efficiency. And so because it takes more employees of a drive through store, but after you hit a certain threshold, then it's just gravy. So like drive through stores typically do about 30% better than our non drive through stores. Wow. And so our goal is to do 25 million this year, but now Bountiful is opening August 3rd, Fort Union's opening the first quarter of next year. They're supposed to be for, both be open the first half of this year. Yeah. And because of our sales are down because of COVID, maybe we'll do between 16 and 20. That's incredible though. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of fun. I don't like doing these things, but you know, you put your name in the hat for certain things. Um, Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year. And they contacted me two years ago because they, and we, we've been on Fortune 5000 the last two years. It'd be fun to be Fortune 500. And we would be this year because look at your growth from the previous year. If, if those two locations had happened. Yeah. yeah. And next year we will for sure. And um, I was a, a finalist for, I guess, uh, Entrepreneur of the Year last year on the retail restaurant side. And it's fun to be like, just considered for that. Yeah. Like it's, it's a really cool. Definite big achievement yeah. for sure. Entrepreneur of the Year in Utah. But not, hey, not Provo. It's the state of Utah. So. <laughs> yeah. It's still very impressive. Yeah. It's cool. I used to have goals of, a hundred stores. I don't, I don't know anymore. And I don't really care. It's like, it's, I like growing because I love creating jobs and two, three years ago, because we have more jobs and we have more cash flow. I was able to roll out a, a Jeep for every general manager and corporate team. So now we have, you know, we give them a car and a gas allowance and pay their insurance. And now it's because we had a problem. I remember two GMs, one GM couldn't get to work because it was snow and he didn't have snow tires and he had a kind of rinky-dink car. Another one had car problems all the time. And I just came to me. I'm like, why don't I get these guys cars? So at our summer party three summers ago, I rolled out Jeeps that were all wrapped. That is what I like going to work. Yeah. Is I gave uh, our director of ops, before he was director of ops, 10 grand. I said, here, this is just for being you and being a badass. And he went in the bathroom and shed some tears and I didn't plan on that, but he's like, this is the first time I've, I'll be out of debt in my life. And you know, it was just, that's what makes me tick is hooking my employees up. So that's what I do. What I do is uh, to create jobs and opportunities and give them better life, especially if they work at a different restaurant. And a lot of times the restaurant world's really cutthroat. So when we interview someone to be management, there's three things we talk about. No belittling, condescending, or any kind of sexist or racism. Because I worked in so many restaurants where the supervisor, assistant manager, manager was condescending or belittling, or it's like they talked down to you. And this is the restaurant world. And yeah. 
I can't have it. And so I want to create a place. It's a safe place. They're happy. They enjoy their job. They like going to work. And that's why I do what I do. I love it. I think that's a very big, important thing is a lot of people, I mean, we touched on this briefly earlier too, but like there's a lot of businessmen that are only looking and only focused on the bottom line. And if you do those kind of things, those kind of incentives for the employees, that's going to take away from their bottom line. So they're afraid to do stuff like that. But in reality, that should be viewed as an investment because you make your employees happier, which in turn creates more loyalty between them and you. So they're going to work harder, which in the end, even if profits are your main focus, you're going to make more money doing that anyway, because they're going to be happy. They're going to stay with you longer. So you don't have to worry about hiring and retraining, which costs way more than any of that other stuff too. So even if you were selfish and doing that, you would still see incredible results. But I just don't see enough of that nowadays in the world where people are looking out for their teammates and stuff. So I think it's really refreshing to be able to hear that from you, just how much you care for your team. Because for me, I have a window cleaning business. I don't have nearly as many employees, but they're my team. They're my family. And so when I can do little things for them, like buy them lunch, help them out with their car payments or whatever, doing things like that, that resonates with me a ton because... I mean, that's why I do business too, is to be able to help them have those successful lives too. So I just think that's super refreshing. And I think it's awesome that you, that you go above and beyond what most owners of companies do to be able to make sure that your employees are taken care of and are happy with you too. Yeah. Thanks, man. I mean, it's, I don't think it'll ever change. I don't, and I, on, I've been approached, I don't even know how many times about to franchise or, I thought about selling 25% maybe four years ago, and I'm so glad I didn't because I don't want to ever lose any control of what I do because I don't want anyone to come in and tell me what I can and yet do because they would look at trying to maybe shore some things up, be more efficient, cut costs. And I love spending money on Christmas parties and yeah. giving bonuses. And I tell Amanda, my wife, all the time, like my favorite two days of my of my work world Christmas party and the summer party. And it's just a blast. And uh, that's why we'll, we'll keep growing. We'll probably grow. I think the max we'll ever do is, is six a year. Um, if you look at the in and out model, they started in the forties and they're all corporate owned and they're growing tons now, but this is 60 years later. Yeah. I don't want to take that long, but I, uh, I already, my son, oldest son told me when he, if anything happened to me, he'd change the name to Jude's cause his name is Jude and but <laughs> keep the menu. So, uh, that's a win. <laughs> yeah. Good for him. <laughs> but, uh, I, I hope that I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. It's awesome. Thanks for taking the time to be able to just share a little bit of that story and hear kind of the ups and downs of the whole journey, because it's fascinating to me, especially as an entrepreneur to see where other entrepreneurs have bumps in the road and how they overcome them. I mean, a lot of people, if their head chef three, four months before they're supposed to open is now not going to work for them, that would be cause to just throw in the towel and not open up because that that's a huge deal. Food is everything for a restaurant, but for you to just have that resiliency to keep going and just push through and work overtime, do whatever you needed to, to get it open is just a testament to your hard work. And that's why Cubby's has been so successful now. Just to wrap up, I have what I call the lightning round with just a couple of my favorite questions. And so I'm always curious to get the ideas and the opinions of the people that I'm talking to. Uh, So just whatever comes to your mind, 
really quick answers. I, I want to hear what you have to think about it. Okay. So the first one is, what is your biggest fear? It's definitely anything that happened with my family, my wife and kids. So I, that's like easy, easy one for me. That's really all I care about. That's what drives me is the store could burn and I could not have a store anymore. I wouldn't even care. So yeah, just that's an easy one for me. I respect that. Uh, the next one is, what is your personal definition of failure? I think giving up. If you don't make it financially and they close the doors or if you're in a business, a lot of things are uncontrollable. Like it's, you know, COVID construction, different traffic patterns, or it's the wrong food for that demographic. Like Rising Bun, it was an amazing concept. It was a niche, but I, if they were open at a different time, I think they would have made it. Uh, but it's so, but my buddy gave it his all and he put so much time and you know, tons of sweat equity into it and, and didn't make it. But so I think failure is, is, is giving up on yourself. I agree with that. The next one is obviously we want to help people be as successful as they can. And that's my goal. I want to have as much success as I can. So what is one of the habits that you have in your life that helps contribute to your success? A balance. It's, I have a good balance between taking care of myself, whatever it could be, working out, meditation, going on a bike ride and, family. For me, it's a balance between home life and work life. Yeah. And so, and I, I'm trying to, it can't just be me. So I make sure my employees, they see me go on vacation and take time off. And that's why we give our employees four weeks vacation because I get vacation and I want them to be able to have vacation. And in the restaurant world, that's unheard of. And we also don't let employees work more than 45 hours a week. We went from 50 to 45 we didn't reduce the pay. We just said, Hey guys, thanks for who you are. We're going to 45. This is just GMs. Yeah. And the restaurant world, I've been in my whole life and 60, 70 hours is not abnormal. So Mm -hmm. for a general manager to be able to work 45 hours, to have that balance between home and take care of themselves is really important. Uh, So they enjoy going to work still. Cool. I love that. The last one for this is what is one piece of advice that you would give to someone who is either looking to start a business or is in the first year or two just waiting for things to to really get better. And it's funny, I was just talking to a guy about this last week. He was a Stuart RV and PG. He just got promoted to lead mechanic or head of the shop. I forgot what his title was. And he keeps talking to me in this last year. He does mobile stuff too about him going on his own. And I'm like, Bryant, dude, you just got to go for it. It's You'll never know. And it's a hustle, but that hustle is so fun. That grind is so fun. When you put that 70 hours in, you're still looking to go back the next day because it's it's yours. Yeah. No one is telling you what to do. You get to do what you want, and it's your dream. It's your passion. If you find something you really love, you don't even count the hours. So really, it's just put your head down, grind. You don't want to do grind for life, but I grinded. The first two years was a grind, and I loved every minute of it. I still had a balance because my home time was, I was home. And luckily we had no kids and then just a baby for the first, for the second year. We had a baby right when the store about opened. You have to have the support system, of course, but really it's just putting your head down and grinding. If you find something you really love and you're passionate about and uh, you know, the balance will come after that. Cool. I love it. Just shameless plug. Go check out Cubbies. If you guys are ever around any of their locations, very, very good stuff. 
honestly, I'm not a big salad guy. Like I know I should be, I try and eat healthy, but salads just don't, <laughs> don't do it for me very yeah. much, but I love your guys' salads. So it's the, one of the only places that I will choose to get a salad at. So Makes there's sense. props to you. You guys do a good job. But again, thanks for taking the time to be able to just talk today and share your story and a little bit of your insights into how you've been able to find success. It's been really eye-opening for me, and I know that our listeners are going to find a lot of value in it too. Hey, thanks, Ben. And just before wrapping up, just wanted to come on and say thanks again for listening. You guys are definitely what makes it the most enjoyable thing for me. Obviously, meeting all these cool people is really great. But building this community and having people reach out to me and just tell me how much they're enjoying the podcast definitely makes my day. And I want to be able to share this with even more people and hopefully be able to help them learn a lot more about this topic as well. So if you like this podcast and you haven't already, please do me a huge favor. Click subscribe. Please give me a rating or review on iTunes, especially that's the main one on Apple Podcasts. And just share this with your friends. Because I want to be able to make this the biggest podcast that I possibly can. Next week, I'm going to be coming back with an awesome episode. And until then, keep failing your way towards achieving your dreams. 